There are two mitzvahs on sukkahs, a sukkah and a lulav. In order to fulfill the mitzvah of the lulav, it has to belong to you. It's got to be yours. But in order to use somebody else's sukkah, just the very fact that they allow you in already kind of makes it yours. So what really is the difference between a sukkah and a lulav? And what does it tell us about the nature of the holiday of sukkahs, which in turn tells us about the nature of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, because whatever happens behind the scenes in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur comes out into the open on sukkahs, which by extension tells us about three different levels of experience of the whole of Judaism. The Gemara Sukkah tells us, So Rabbi Eliezer's opinion is that just as you cannot fulfill a mitzvah on the first day of Sukkot with somebody else's lulav, because the Torah tells us, because the Torah says you should take for you those species, implying that they have to belong to you. Sakach, likewise, according to Rabbi Eliezer, you likewise cannot fulfill the mitzvah of sukkahs on the first day with somebody else's sukkah. Why? Because the Pasuk tells us, it says you should make for you the holiday of sukkahs for seven days, meaning it has to be yours. That's Rabbi Eliezer's individual opinion. But the Vachachomim, Oimrim, the majority opinion is, in spite of the fact that we all agree that you cannot fulfill the mitzvah of lulav on the first day of Yom Tov with somebody else's lulav, but you do fulfill the obligation of sitting in a sukkah, even if it is somebody else's sukkah. Why? Because when it comes to sukkahs, there's another phrase where the Torah tells us, every Jewish citizen should sit in a sukkah, Ben Lamed, which teaches us that the entire Jewish community is sufficiently capable of fulfilling the mitzvah by sharing one sukkah. What about the fact that Rabbi Yezah says that it's got to be that you make sukkahs for yourself? So they learn that to exclude that if a person had to steal a sukkah, they wouldn't fulfill the obligation. But if you borrow a sukkah, you fulfill your mitzvah, even if it's not yours, because the Torah includes every Jewish citizen in a single mitzvah of sukkah. Obviously, the halacha follows the majority view of the chachamim. That in spite of the fact that you cannot fulfill your mitzvah on the first day of Yom Tov with borrowed dalad minim, because as the Torah says, it's got to be yours, shiny. Sukkah is a different scenario. And a person can fulfill their obligation with a borrowed sukkah. Okay, so what are we saying over here? Simply what it seems to be saying is this. What is the logic? Why the Chachamim say that you could fulfill your obligation of sukkah with somebody else's sukkah that you've borrowed or that, you're, that they've allowed you in? It sounds like the main way that we determine that you can fulfill a mitzvah of sukkahs with somebody else's sukkah is because of kol ha'ezrach, this inclusive expression in the Torah, that all Jews can share a single sukkah. As the Gemara said, it teaches us that the entire Jewish community belongs in a single sukkah. So, so logically, it sounds like, what are we saying? 
when the Torah said, Chag Lecha, it did not mean that the sukkah must belong to you. It doesn't mean that it has to belong to you. It does mean that you have to have gotten that sukkah through legal means. So if somebody lends you the sukkah or invites you into the sukkah, that's fine, as long as you don't steal it. So that's what it sounds like. Because of Kol Ezra Israel, that's why we include everybody to fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah, even if the sukkah is not yours. But when you look at the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, the Alter Rebbe seems to say something a little different. Alva Rabbi Nazak and Kosev B'Shulchan Aruch, the Alter Rebbe writes in Shulchan Aruch, Afal Pisha Amra Torah Chag HaSukah Istase Lecha, Lecha Mishelcha. Listen to what the Alter Rebbe says. In spite of the fact that the Torah says with regards to sukkahs that it has to be Mishelcha, that really the sukkah should belong to you. Keloimar Shetehya Sukkah Shelcha Veloi Shelcha Vercha. How does the Alter Rebbe learn it? Not like we thought. We thought that the limud over here is that everybody can share a sukkah. And you don't need Mishelcha at all. The Mishelcha is just to tell you, don't steal it. Says the Alter Rebbe, in spite of the fact that the Torah says, Mishelcha, that the sukkah has to belong to you. So how then can you fulfill the mitzvah in somebody else's sukkah? Nonetheless, you can fulfill your mitzvah in a borrowed sukkah, whether that means you borrow the structure or you're invited into somebody, else, somebody else's sukkah. Says the Alter Rebbe, because you enter the sukkah with the permission of the owner or you build the sukkah using the materials that belong to the owner, whatever the case is, it's like yours. So you go to somebody else for first day sukkahs to eat in their sukkah. You fulfill the mitzvah because they've invited you in. And by doing so, they have given you the rights that this sukkah is as if it's yours. The only way that you would not fulfill the requirement of mishalcha is if you had to steal the sukkah. Trespass on somebody's property. In other words, understanding, which is obviously the way we're supposed to understand the Pasuk, is that when it said, it really did want it to be Mishalcha yours. And you can still fulfill the obligation of Sukkot with somebody else's Sukkot because they've invited you in and therefore it's like yours. So therefore, we need to understand this. If the, who, if the reason why you can fulfill the mitzvah in somebody else's sukkah is is not as we originally thought because the inclusive statement includes that you could even use a sukkah which is not yours. But to the contrary, because using a sukkah with somebody else's permission makes it like yours. What's the obvious question? Why don't we apply, apply that same logic to Luluf? Surely you should apply the same logic. If I could be allowed into your sukkah and therefore fulfill my obligation, surely then if I'm allowed to use your Luluf because you lent it to me, surely then it's like mine, just like, as the sukkah is like mine. Okay, so we'll attempt an answer. Maybe the issue over here is what constitutes something being yours. Maybe there are various degrees of how much something could be considered yours. Maybe it's because the Torah used an inclusive expression. Every Jewish citizen should sit in a sukkah. Maybe because of that, it extended the 
the definition of being yours to be a much looser definition. If it's in any way yours, it's acceptable. Which would include using somebody else's sukkah, with their permission, obviously, even though it's not really your sukkah. So now we can distinguish and say the Torah didn't make that allowance in the case of Ululov. There's no kind of reference to say that the Lulav belongs inclusively to all people. So therefore, we would say, So that would indicate that when the Torah says, that the lulav you take on the first day of Sukkot has to be yours, it means literally yours. Maybe that's the distinction. That the Torah made a greater allowance in the case of Sukkot when it presented the halacha than it does in the case of lulav. But that's not what the Alter Rebbe seems to say. The Alter Rebbe didn't give an indication that it's a lesser requirement of ownership. Read on what the Alter Rebbe says in the Halachas of Sukkah. It doesn't seem to be this way at all. When you read on the way the Alter Rebbe describes it, if you borrow a sukkah or you're in somebody's sukkah with their permission, it is now as if it is absolutely yours. Look what he says. It's a very interesting question. If a person had to steal a sukkah, and now it's, let's just say, on land that doesn't belong to the original owner, so, but yeah, but you fulfill your requirement. It's not the way to do it, but okay. Nevertheless, even though you could find a way, so you, you squat in somebody else's sukkah without their permission. Okay, so technically you fulfilled your mitzvah. But by rights, you shouldn't do so. Because if the land is not yours, it's not your space. And the Torah wants that sukkah to be yours. You see that? The Al-Terebbe is defining the Torah's requirement for a sukkah to literally be yours. Not that there's a looser definition of what constitutes yours with regards to a sukkah. So it's not the same as if somebody lends you their sukkah or invites you into their sukkah, in which case it's like yours. So there you see clearly that the Alter Rebbe is not excusing or loosening the definition of what constitutes yours with regards to a sukkah. It says it's got to be yours. It just so happens that if somebody lends it to you, it becomes yours. In other words, Alter Rebbe is saying the reason you fulfill your mitzvah with a borrowed sukkah is not because sheloi is a very loose definition on sukkahs, to the contrary. It's because when somebody lends you a sukkah or invites you inside their sukkah, it is like your sukkah, literally, in which case, we're back to this, to square one. If borrowing something makes it like yours, why does that not work for the lulav esreg hadasim arobis? So perhaps what we could say is when the Torah said every Jewish citizen deserves to sit in a single sukkah, Maybe that indicates to us that there's something unique about a sukkah, that because it's such an inclusive experience, therefore, the minute you borrow a sukkah, it takes it to the extent that it's considered like yours. 
Why would that be? It might be a very simple explanation. When you lend somebody a sukkah, because embedded in the mitzvah of sukkah, that you should live in the sukkah like you normally live in your home. So it's logical to assume that when a person says, here, use my sukkah, what they're basically saying is, use it like your home. Because that's what's implied by use the sukkah. Use it in the way the Torah requires you to use it, which is that you should use the sukkah as if it was your home. So it's a wholehearted transaction. That is the definition of the mitzvah. If I'm lending you the sukkah, I'm lending it to you to be able to fulfill the mitzvah. In order to fulfill the mitzvah, it's got to be like your home. If I'm giving you something to use like your home, I'm giving it to you absolutely. You now own it completely. Whereas with a lulav, there's no requirement in the mitzvah that you have to have a lulav that is like your home or like another possession that you own. It's got to be yours in order to fulfill the mitzvah. Okay, so here you go. It's yours in order to fulfill the mitzvah. I'm not giving it to you with the same wholeheartedness. And therefore, when it comes to a sukkah, we say that the loaning of the sukkah is literally as if he gave it to him to be his home, and now, therefore, it belongs to him. Lending somebody a, a, a lulav, I want it back straight afterwards. Okay, that's from an alachic point of view. Where this gets really fascinating is when we look at it from a spiritual perspective. Let's understand this in a beautiful way based on Hasidus. The Pasuk that says every Jewish citizen deserves to sit in the same sukkah or should sit in the same sukkah, that teaches us that we all deserve to share the same sukkah. Meaning, sukkah is such a beautiful, elevated experience, and therefore, it is something that unites the entire Jewish people into a single organism. To the point that we all effectively should share one sukkah. So therefore, when I'm in your sukkah with your permission, seeing as the whole purpose of a sukkah is to unite us all together into a single shared experience, it is now as if it is my sukkah. Because that's the goal of sukkahs, to bring us all together. So it belongs to you, you've invited me in, now it belongs to all of us. We all deserve a single sukkah. Now, that is going to launch for us an insight into understanding Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and by extent the whole of Judaism. Because Mavur B'chassidus, B'pirash HaPasuk, B'chassidus, 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 B'chassidus says in the Pasuk in Tilim, B'chassidus, that Rosh Hashanah is the holiday when the moon is hidden, L'yoyim Chagenu, that prepares or takes us to the great festival of Sukkot. So Chassidus explains that embedded in that Pasuk is this message. Whatever concepts and ideas and energies are hidden within Yom Kippur, within Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, they all emerge into the open on Sukkot. So the same question we're asking over here about what's the difference between Lulav and Sukkah, that a Sukkah you do fulfill if you loan the Sukkah and not a Lulav, We'll understand all of that. We'll understand this far better by analyzing these same principles as they were hidden within the concept of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So in other words, let's analyze Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur more deeply. And from that, we'll understand Sukkot in a whole different light. Very famously, the Rebbe explains in the early Sikhs 
That when you analyze Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you find that there are three elements to both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, each one higher than the preceding one. Aleph mitzvah the first level is the mitzvahs that you experience on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. So, Rosh Hashanah, it's mitzvahs t'kiah shoifer, the shoifer. Rabbi Yom Kippur, mitzvahs atayinus, mitzvahs atshuvah v'avidoy, and Yom Kippur, it's the mitzvahs of fasting and confessing. That's the first level of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the mitzvah level. Bay is the next level. Heyosim asesim etshuvah. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are obviously part of the process of asesim etshuvah, which means, asher tshuvah hilamayla me'amitzvahs, that their content is really a content of tshuvah, which is at a higher level than mitzvahs. That's why tshuvah can fix what mitzvahs were unable to do. A person lacked something because of a mitzvah. Tshuvah can fill in the gaps. So you've got the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur at mitzvah level. Then you have Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur at tshuvah level. And then Gimel, the highest level of both of them is the essence of Rosh Hashanah and the essence of Yom Kippur. Which is even beyond the scope of Tshuvah. On Rosh Hashanah, the essence of the day is our efforts to acknowledge Hashem as our King, to crown Hashem as our King. That we want to crown Hashem as King. Of Yom Kippurim, the essence of Yom Kippur is inyan itzumay shel Yom Kippurim mechaper. The fact that the essence of the day of Yom Kippur atones for whatever may have happened during the year, which is darga shel kapora nalis yosem akapora shel day tshuva, which is a, a level of atonement which is way beyond even the atonement achieved through tshuva. So we know this because it's a very famous sicha of the sichas of the Rebbe. Oshloishen yoni meidem evatim. These three levels express three different degrees of our attachment to Hashem. The beginner's level of attachment to Hashem is where we appear to be independent of Hashem. But we plug in, we connect ourselves to Hashem. This level if I am, so to speak, if I appear to be independent of Hashem and I now have to create a connection to Hashem, I need a means of that connection. I need a bridge. What is that? The mitzvahs become the cable that connects us to Hashem. When we accept Hashem's authority and we accept Hashem's decrees, that connects us. So that implies, of course, that if we don't accept those decrees, we don't have that connection. Then, when we talk about us and Hashem connecting, there's a deeper way we can connect. connect. There's a deeper level of the connection between us as so-called independent entities and Hashem. There's a deeper connection that doesn't depend on mitzvahs. This connection is expressed when we do tshuva. Let's say that there was somebody who rejected Hashem's authority. So you don't have that connection. And didn't fulfill the mitzvahs. So you don't have that connection. The fact that that Jew feels remorse over that disconnect. And therefore the person wants to fix it. And therefore the person does tshuva. That tells me that the relationship is deeper. If the relationship was purely mechanical because there are certain things that I do that plug me into godliness, then if I don't do those things, no. 
The fact that I feel bad about it and that I'm compelled to want to correct it tells you that there's a deeper degree of connection beyond what the mitzvahs do. Nevertheless, this type of connection, despite the fact that it's far more profound than the connection established just by doing mitzvahs, but it's still in the same gamut, it's still in the same reality that is associated with mitzvahs. In other words, why does the person have a motivation for teshuvah? Why does the person feel remorse? Because they didn't do mitzvahs. So this relationship still hinges on mitzvahs. That's why a fundamental part of tshuva is a resolution going forward. Now I'm going to do those mitzvahs. Now I'm going to plug in. So because the connection to Hashem via tshuva depends on making a commitment to do what Hashem says going forward, that is evidence to the fact that I still feel separate and independent from Hashem and require means of connection. So what's the highest degree of bond between us and Hashem? The highest level of connection is Yisrael v'kuchibrichu kulochad. The fact that we are fundamentally one, not because of anything that we do or anything that we feel. We are fundamentally one. We and Hashem are essentially one entity. We cannot separate. We express that by saying on Rosh Hashanah, Be our King. The fact that we are capable of invoking from Hashem His willingness to be our King tells you that we have an inherent connection. If we're going to have a connection to Hashem via Torah or mitzvahs or even through the process of tshuva, there's a prerequisite. We must have first accepted Hashem as our king. Otherwise, why would we be listening or why would we feel regret? Then, once you have a, a fundamental principle which says Hashem is my king, then it makes sense to say I should do what he says, or I should feel I have to compensate for not having done what he said. Because those are the factors that will create the bond between us. But prior to us being in a state where we accept Hashem as our king, why would we feel that something's lacking, that our commitment is lacking? Why would we even feel that we're lacking the king, that we have to ask him to be the king? In other words, what drives that? What, what's the primal instinct to say, I need Hashem to be my king? What is it? The fact that we reach out to Hashem and declare Hashem as our King is evidence to the fact that we're inherently, intrinsically connected to Hashem and we cannot help it. It's impossible for us not to have Hashem as our King. So now that we understand that there's these three levels, 
mitzvahs, which are a relatively external way of connection, of, of connecting. Teshuvah, which is a very deep level of connection. And then the essence of who we are, which is not just a connection that we make. It's a connection that we are. It's, it's indelible. It's inescapable. Now we can understand why not everybody does mitzvahs the same way. And that's why when it comes to tshuva, even though it's a little more subtle, nobody does tshuva in the same way. But when you accept Hashem as your king, that is an absolutely universal experience. Like you see in human experience. When the king is coronated, which requires the people to show the absolute pledge of dedication to him, long live the king. At that moment, the prime minister and the street sweeper have the exact same dedication to say, long live the king. I am absolutely dedicated to you. My role is to be prime minister, and I'll do that with total dedication. My role is to be the street sweeper, and I'll do that with absolute dedication. But the extent of the dedication is universal. But after the coronation has occurred, and once the king starts to issue edicts, then then people are different. Some people do it with greater enthusiasm, some with less enthusiasm, some with more understanding, some with less understanding. Nobody's on the same page. So when we're talking about fulfilling mitzvahs, so what is the quality of connection to Hashem through a mitzvah? I feel who I am, and I feel that I'm doing a mitzvah which allows me connection to Hashem. So therefore, because I'm feeling my experience, it's my experience, it's unique, it's not the same as your experience. Relative to the, st- the spiritual standing of each individual, each of us stands alone. When it comes to doing tshuva, which is precipitated by a far deeper sense of connection, that is a connection between us and Hashem which is not reliant on actually doing mitzvahs it's not such a clear distinction between one person and the next like we see a person could just literally have a, a thought of tshuva and that's already something that changes a person instantaneously but it's not absolutely universal. Still going to be individualized. People are doing tshuva for different things. So maybe the motivation and the experience of tshuva is universal. We're all reconnecting to Hashem and it's in an instantaneous experience. But each person has a different set of baggage to deal with. Or somebody's at a level where their teshuvah is no longer repentance over the past, but it's returning to a connection to Hashem at an neshama level. Nobody's exactly the same when it comes to that. But when you get to that primal moment of saying, I accept Hashem as my king, seeing as that is an expression of the fact that I'm one with Hashem in my essence, so it goes without saying then that you cannot distinguish between the Jews and God because we're kolochad, we're absolutely one. 
So we also cannot then distinguish between one Jew and the next. When it comes to absolute dedication to Hashem and accepting Hashem as our king, we're all on an equal footing. Every single Jew has the same primal drive to connect to Hashem and commit to Hashem. Now, we already we discussed the fact that this plays out in both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, not in an identical way. Rosh Hashanah, it's Tamichuni Aleichem, Yom Kippur, it's Yitzumah Shoyom Mechaper, even the mitzvahs are different. But we can actually speak about this in a very generalized sense and say Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, right? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Bechag HaSukkot, each express one of these three levels. In other words, one of these Yom Tevim primarily expresses the essence of our connection, one primarily the tshuva of our connection, and one primarily the mitzvahs of our connection. What you see most obviously in Rosh Hashanah is that this is the brain of the entire year. This is when we accept Hashem as king, and that obviously informs the reality of the rest of the year. Like the Reb writes, that the primary goal of Rosh Hashanah is through the Shofar to accept Hashem as our king. So the primary theme of Rosh Hashanah is the etzim connection to Hashem, accepting Hashem as our monarch. What's most obviously noticeable about Yom Kippur is it's a day of tshuva. This is the end. It's the getting rid of all of the Averis, complete atonement before Hashem. Beyond that, even the idea, the brilliant idea that Yom Kippur is a day where the essence of the day atones, which is beyond atonement and connection to Hashem achieved through ordinary tshuva, it's still a, a theme of atonement, as we call it, the Day of Atonement. So what's the primary and most obvious theme of Yom Kippur? The Tshuva aspect. And Sukkot is the holiday where the most obvious component is our actions, our deeds, doing mitzvahs. Sukkot, building a sukkah, eating in a sukkah, shaking them at a little of an esrug. As the Gemara says, we're so caught up in doing mitzvahs from the minute Yom Kippur ends, all of the mitzvahs to prepare for and to celebrate sukkahs. And the name itself implies that today associated with a specific mitzvah, the mitzvah of sukkah. So generally speaking, Rosh Hashanah is the essence, Yom Kippur is the tshuva, sukkahs is the mitzvahs. But we did say before that whatever occurs beneath the surface on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur will come out into the open on Sukkot. So Sukkot has to tell us more than just that. Seeing as we know that whatever occurs hidden on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur becomes revealed on Sukkot. So moving from that, we can understand even though the primary theme of Sukkot, as we've just identified, is the mitzvah connection to Hashem. Within those mitzvahs, we'll be able to convey all three themes. 
essence connection, teshuva connection, and mitzvah connection. Including those facets that were primarily identified with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So, as we already know, Rosh Hashanah has its unique element, crowning Hashem as king. Yom Kippur has its unique element, the essence of the day atones, and yet they both also have an element of Tshuvah. As the Gemara alludes to, the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which, as the Rebbe explains elsewhere, doesn't really make sense. There's seven days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So what does it mean? It's telling us that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, besides their essence themes, are also part of the broader reality called the Haseris and Mechuvah. And this is in spite of the fact that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are intrinsically beyond the scope of just Tshuva. And they also have a mitzvah component. So if Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur have all three components, it's no surprise. And the Tzukas should also have all three. We should be able to identify all three elements, the essence, the Tshuva, and the mitzvahs in Sukkot. So Matzina Shakos Metaris Achag, how does the Torah describe Sukkot? It tells us, On the 15th day of this month of Tishrei, There's the holiday of Sukkot for seven days dedicated to Hashem. One expression. Then it says, That you should, you personally, should do the mitzvah of Sukkot for seven days. And then it tells us again with regards to staying in a sukkah, you should dwell in a sukkah for seven days. Without telling us anything that it belongs to a specific time of the calendar. So the first thing we glean from this is the repetition in the Torah that tells us so many times about the sukkah obviously indicates, and of course as the name itself indicates, that the core of the holiday of sukkah is the mitzvah of sukkah. When it comes to the mitzvah of Dalaminim, that is anchored to the first day of Sukkot. So that tells you that it's obviously not the core element of the whole of Sukkot, and not even of the first day of Sukkot. The first day of Sukkot, you start off with the Sukkot, that's the core element, and then you take into that experience another mitzvah of Dalad Minim. And then after that, after the Torah tells us about taking the four species, the Torah tells us that in addition to sitting and eating in a sukkah, and in addition to shaking a lulav and esrog, there's another mitzvah to have simcha throughout the holiday. So, based on what we've already explained, it's self-understood. The first concept, the essence connection between us and Hashem, which on Rosh Hashanah is expressed through Tamrichuni Aleichem, accepting Hashem as our King. On Yom Kippur, it's expressed through Itzuma Shul Yom that there's a fundamental atonement because we're fundamentally good together. Where do you see that in Sukkot? which is primarily expressed on Rosh Hashanah, the concept of the Kulachad. Where do you see it on Sukkot? You see that in the Sukkot, because that's the essence of Sukkot. 
The concept of a connection that is a deep connection, but not an essence connection, as illustrated by Tshuva, which is the primary theme of Yom Kippur. That you'll see primarily through the mitzvah of Lulav. And the mitzvah component, the mitzvah bond, is primarily expressed through the through the simcha of the of the yomtiv. How do we understand that? The explanation is this: we already identified earlier with regards to Rosh when it comes to accepting Hashem as our king, you could be the prime minister, you could be the street sweeper. It's an equal moment of commitment. It's an absolute commitment that is universal. That is best expressed through the sukkah. What does it say about the sukkah? We saw already from the Gemara. The entire Jewish world deserves to sit in one sukkah without any distinction between who you are. We are all suitable, to, we are all fitting to share one single sukkah. Just like the essence connection, there's no distinction between one person and the next. The sukkah experience, no distinction between one person and the next. You could have the greatest Moshe Rabbeinu walk into a sukkah, together with the simplest Jew, and they equally fulfill the same mitzvah being in a sukkah. As we very famously know, that what does the Medrash tell us about taking the four species on sukkahs? Who is the Pasuk speaking about? Says the Medrash, so the Medrash says it's like this, this contest almost running between the Jews and the rest of the world. And Hashem judges us on Yom Kippur. We don't know who comes out successful, victorious. Hashem says, Carry your lulavim out in the open. That everybody should know that. You were victorious. So where do you see the kapara aspect of Yom Kippur, which is the teshuva element expressed in sukkahs? A lulav. The lulav is the banner to show Hashem forgave us. Hashem atoned for our averas. So the sukkah is the tamlichuni aleichem, absolutely universal experience. The lulav is the teshuva experience translated out into the open. And then the celebration of Sukkot, which is the concept of celebrating a mitzvah, the joy of a mitzvah, that illustrates to the world the special bond that we have with Hashem via doing mitzvahs. It's such a beautiful bond that it, it, it gets us to be besimcha because we go, wow, I've got this amazing connection to Hashem. Now, with that in mind, we can understand what the difference is between a sukkah and a lulav, why you can borrow somebody's sukkah and not somebody's lulav. Because, as we've just shown, sukkah expresses the universal experience of Judaism, the universal absolute connection to Hashem, like when you crown Hashem as king. Where it becomes apparent that we and Hashem are a single reality. At that level, you cannot distinguish between one Jew and the next. We're one singular entity. 
When the Gemara tells us that the entire Jewish nation deserves to sit in one sukkah, what they mean to say is, They're not saying everybody has a free pass to a sukkah. What they're saying is being inside the sukkah reveals our intrinsic unity as a Jewish people. When you're inside a sukkah, you suddenly realize we're not two separate Jews who happen to be sharing an experience. Instead, we're illustrating that at our core, we are a single entity. We are one. So therefore, it follows logically that a borrowed sukkah, it's yours. The same is a kushaloi mamish. It's literally like yours, as the Alter Rebbe said. Because the goal and purpose of a sukkah is that it, re, that it unites us all into a single entity. Therefore, So it's impossible to distinguish and say, this sukkah belongs to Yankel and that sukkah, and it doesn't belong to Shmerel. No, we're all one. If it belongs to Yankel, automatically it belongs, belongs to Shmerel. It's yours like it is the other person's. So why doesn't it work if a person steals a sukkah? Logic. If a person steals somebody else's sukkah. The fact that he's stealing is in itself a rejection of the principle that we're all one. But stealing from somebody else, that person drives a wedge between themselves and their victim. There's no way you can call that sukkah his. The whole logic of why the sukkah should be shared is because we're fundamentally one. This person illustrates that we're fundamentally separate. This principle can only apply to the sukkah. Whereas when you're talking about the Lulav and Esrog, in spite of the fact that it's a huge representation of Jewish unity. As we well know, the four species represent four different types of Jews that all come together. But still, even while they're bound all together, that's a Luluf, those are Hadassim, that's a Ravis, that's an Esrik. It's not a fundamental unity. Because the Dalit Minim reflect into the world the atonement that was achieved on Yom Kippur. As we already mentioned, not everybody atones equally, not everybody does tshuva equally, not everybody had the same issues to deal with. Even though the principle and concept of Teshuvah is universal, the path of Teshuvah is personal. So therefore, as long as you're dealing with a lulav, each individual remains an individual. So if somebody loans you their lulav, it's not now automatically yours. Because at this level of connection, they are them, I am I. When I loan that person's, person's lulav, it's their lulav that I'm loaning. It's not shelcha. That also explains why the Torah says in the singular. Whereas, how do we know that you have to own your lulav on sukkahs? Because the Torah says in the plural. Why is sukkah singular and lulav plural? 
Because Because when you're in the sukkah, the entire Jewish nation has become a single entity. If you're addressing a single organism, you use the singular. But when you're talking about Lulav and where each one of us remains distinct, if just so happens that we're bound together, so there we identify us as a group, a diverse group, so we're addressed in the plural. But it's not a diverse group where there's some kind of breakdown. There's a unity in this group. We bring everybody together. And then we reach the third dimension of Sukkot, which is the Simcha component. That expresses our connection to Hashem via the fulfillment of mitzvahs. At that level, everybody is completely distinct, as the Gemara tells us. That when it was Simcha's Beisha only the best, the creme de la creme, the spiritual leadership of the community danced. And everybody else could only watch and listen. So that tells you a beautiful thing about Sukkot, that Sukkot is very much like Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and it creates the opportunity for us to have this essence connection to Hashem, specifically when we sit in the Sukkah. In Mitzvah Hashem, we should see the giloy of that essence connection by sitting in the great Sukkah that Hashem will make for Tzadikim, the coming of Mashiach now.